0: to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: 904 here on SENZ Uh, Marina to uh, all of you listening around the country uh, it might actually apply to my sermon that little piece of music, Uh, we'll see what that's about very shortly, Uh, but uh, thanks to Brent, uh, our uh, local John Deere equipment suppliers for your great support of the show Uh, shortly after uh, a sermon we'll be speaking to uh, Sarah McGlashan. Sarah of course is the New Zealand cricket high performance coach and she's currently in Pochastrom And uh, it's about uh, 10 o'clock in the evening over there. So uh, we'll talk to her because uh, her under-19 New Zealand women's cricket team are in the semi-finals of the World Cup uh, and they're playing India tomorrow. So uh, we'll talk to Sarah about that. Uh, Australian Open update uh, from about 9.30 onwards and that includes an interview just after 10 with Brett Phillips who's the SCN tennis commentator. Uh, Panel with David Long and uh, Brendan Bradford. We'll talk rugby league, uh, Warriors in particular. Some rugby cricket, some netball as well. The silver ferns falling overnight uh, to Australia. So uh, that wasn't a great result for them. Uh, We'll have a pacing for purpose uh, horse for you uh, around about 10 to 11. uh, A stump smithy at 11.30. And before that, we'll talk to Kane Jones, who is from New Zealand Bloodstock, about the the sales coming up, the Karaka sales. They are big this weekend, starting on Sunday, I believe. We'll get all the details of that uh, just after 11 o'clock.
2: Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy Sermon.
1: Well, uh, last year he hit the headlines because they wouldn't let him play. In fact, uh, they didn't even want him around because he wouldn't fall into line. This year, some are saying he's faking an injury, accusing him of duping opponents with leg strappings and stories of all-nighters on machinery just to get out on court and try and get through. They call him the Joker and behind closed doors, he must be laughing like hell at the Aussies. Novak Djokovic has won their Open nine times. He's odds on to do it again. He's a buck 17. He's unbackable on our tote. It will be akin to that over there as well. Nine times since his first victory in 2008. Seldom anywhere in the world would there be a dominance match, especially at the highest level, the pinnacle of the game. He's the only man aside from the great Rockhampton, Rocket Rod Laver to hold all four majors at the same time. Not everyone hates him. He's won the Laureus Sports Person of the Year awards four times, that's prestigious indeed. Although regarded by many as aloof and somewhat selfish, he was the main man when it came to the formation of the Professional Tennis Players Association, citing the need for players to have more influence on the tour and advocating better prize money structure for lower ranked players. At latest count, he is the all-time leader in prize money with a cool 164786653 US dollars. Incidentally, there's 76.5 million Australian dollars up for grabs in this tournament, a reported 2.975 million to the men's and women's winners. You can ban and heckle and doubt him if you like Australia, but the joke's on you because the joke is all over you again and his name's already inked on the big check. You like to hate him, but you gotta love him Well, the White Ferns have, uh, of course, landed in South Africa this week in preparation for their T20 World Cup that takes place next month. But there's already a T20 World Cup happening in the country with the under-19s, of course, and uh, New Zealand are going extra well. They've finished second in their group to play uh, behind England on net run rate. They'll now face India in the semifinals for a chance to either play England or Australia in the grand final. With us now is uh, New Zealand Cricket's high-performance coach, Sarah McGlashan, who's over there uh, with the under-19s. Sarah, uh, good evening to you, South African time. Uh, Thanks very much for uh, staying up for us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, look, uh, this is a fantastic performance so far, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, I won't say a cakewalk, but you've played a good brand of cricket and you've dominated.
3: Yeah, no, the group's gone really well. Um, I think it's fair to say we've probably surprised ourselves a little bit, um, to be honest, in terms of how well the girls have gone. Um, but like you said, like, we, you know, we're just wanting them to go out there and play an exciting brand of cricket. Um, you know, it's the most fun. It was the best way to do it. So, yeah, no, they're doing really well and had some pretty convincing performances.
1: So, uh, basically, you've been in uh, Pochestrom um, for uh, two or three weeks now. Uh, you must be getting a little bit sick of the side of the place, but uh, you've found a, a good way to play on the surfaces there.
3: Yeah, it's, um, there's not too much to do, and the security's pretty strict. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's what's been impressive about the group, is they've just got on with things, and, you know, when it's sort of time on task, they're doing really well, and then, you know, they're trying to enjoy each other's company and sort of a few cultural experiences well off the field. Um, so, yeah, no, they're doing very well.
1: Right, okay, let's uh, look at um, the potchestrom ground and the conditions there because it's had a fair amount of traffic as you head into the semi-final final stage, what are you What are you expecting from the pitch surfaces?
3: Yeah, so there'll be um, new wickets, but sort of brought up new wickets, so to speak um, in terms of the semi-finals and the finals, so That'd be a good thing, um, because it's fair to say with the heat over here um, and the really condensed schedule, um, it's been pretty tough for the groundsmen to sort of get any water on them and things like that. So, um, yeah, we probably don't expect it to be overly different, though, to be honest.
1: Are the the pitches so far, have they... I I watched um, a game the other day where England played They used about five or six spinners. Uh, I just uh, wonder—is that the trend at at this this, uh, particular juncture in the tournament now, or has that been the the way the the whole way through?
3: Um, I actually think it's kind of been all the way through, to be honest. Um, You know, especially India, who we're about to come up against. um, Most games have just gone on with the one seamer, Um, and I wouldn't say that. Condition sort of suited that Or not necessarily suited it but you know Called for it early on I think it's just The way sort of the women's games going with T20 cricket at the moment
1: Okay that's interesting um, So you're happy with your spin bowling stocks then Obviously
3: Yeah no really happy um, Obviously a, a big shame to lose Fran um, without bowling A ball but that was always I guess sort of the risk Having her involved um, but she was Awesome around the group um, and sort of continue to provide a lot of knowledge and experience to us winners. Um But no, really happy with the balance of the full squad um, and everyone sort of had a good run as well and done well out in the middle. Uh,
1: uh, a lot of the results um, demonstrate that you've been largely untested. Uh, is that now a bit of a, a worry going in against India?
3: Um, no, I think early on it was probably more concerning that our batters hadn't been getting a hit. Um, I think the first sort of three games we only had three batters that um, so then sort of the optional trainings turned into full trainings for the batters. Um, but no, you know, they've been testing themselves in the nets and we've had a couple of open wickets to allow them to sort of get that game situation um, going on. Um, but yeah, no, for sure, you know, like any tournament, the further you go into it, the harder you expect games to get.
1: You've got um, Georgia Plummer with you, of course. Um, and uh, she found some uh, good form in the last game against uh, Pakistan. What what about uh, the batting strength then? Uh, who are you relying on going forward now?
3: Um, I think I wouldn't say we're relying on anyone, which is a really exciting thing about our batting group. Um, you know, We've got a really strong middle order that's hardly had it hit due to the success of the top order. Um, but when they have had opportunities, even like Georgia um, and Izzy Gaze in the last game, they've done really well. So, they play an exciting brand of cricket um, as well. They're naturally attacking batters. So um, it's been very, very nice to watch.
1: In terms of um, the spin bowling, of course, you, you need wicket-keeping strength when you're standing up to the stumps uh, for a predominance of the overs. How's uh, Izzy Gaze uh, looking with the gloves?
3: Yeah, no, she's doing well. And, um, you know, she is our frontline keeper now, especially with Antonia out. Um out. They're sort of sharing the gloves for a while there. But, um, no, she's doing well. Um, you know, they are testing conditions but I think um, the experience she gained in the West Indies and Antigua, um, you know provided her with a lot of sort of instant feedback in those games um, and was pretty testing physically she played in every game so um, yeah no she's certainly used to it Do
1: uh, uh, you prefer to set a target and defend or are you happy doing either?
3: I think we're happy doing either um, <laughs> we have bold first in nearly every game no one saying that um, but no I think the girls really don't mind um which way the toss sort of goes at the moment. Um, but, you know, it's been a morning game, um, you know, that might play into it a bit more than what we've done in the afternoon game.
1: So, uh, India, what are their strengths?
3: Um, certainly, they're spin bowling because <laughs> that's all they sort of bowl. Um, like, they've had one pace bowler, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, for some of these girls, they played them um, when we toured India in November. Um, so, they've had that experience of playing against most of these players. Um, but, you know, yeah. Add in the likes of um, Shafali Verma and Gosh as well, um, and yeah, it's a very exciting lineup um, with some great experience from the senior players.
1: England and Australia are on the other side of the draw um, of those two sides. So, who would you um, who would you think would go through, or is it pretty even?
3: Well, I think it'd be pretty even. Um, England have played some absolutely quality cricket. Um, but probably haven't been tested either. Um, just sort of the way the draws have been, and with sort of sixteen countries playing in this World Cup, um, there's a real range in terms of what you're coming up against. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that'll be that'll be a great game. Um, you know, the Aussie pace attack, very impressive. Um, and I think just for those two countries, you know, they've got players that are sort of fairly full-time cricketers at a domestic level, playing in franchise cricket with other internationals. So. The um, the experience they gain from those competitions um, is very valuable in these tournaments.
1: Well, tournaments like this, uh, Sarah, are a great opportunity to evaluate the the next generation of talent, see how they're progressing in their uh, own sort of development. Uh, As a New Zealand cricket high-performance coach, uh, what are you seeing out there in terms of the roll-on effect? Well,
3: I think, for me, it's just seeing how much much they're learning, to be honest. Um, You know, for some of them, they're, they're sort of fringe domestic players. Some of the girls haven't played senior domestic cricket yet. Um, but especially, you know, we've had players sort of like Kaylee Knight and Natasha Kadaya that went to India um, and then came back and, you know, they had success within the domestic cricket, especially Kaylee and the Super Smash. So that's been really pleasing um, to sort of see the opportunities that have come just from them playing more cricket, to be honest, and especially with touring and coming up against different competitions, um, uh, opposition, sorry, but You know, like for Flora, um, debuted for CD. And little things like that are really pleasing.
1: So, Sarah, in terms of um, going forward as well, uh, I just wonder that uh, the uh, women's IPL is about to uh, kick off. uh, They haven't even had the auction yet, but it's it's not too far away from kicking off, uh, which is going to keep, I would imagine, um, senior players uh, in the game just a little bit longer. Just common sense is that money-wise. Um, So do you you expect that to be the case with some of our um, more seasoned players in in the White Ferns proper?
3: Yeah, I think think at the moment it's probably pretty hard for them to think about walking away, to be honest. Um, You know, with the franchise cricket that's on offer, um, there's so many competitions now. Um, Yeah, there's there's plenty out there for them. So whether that impacts the international game, um, yeah, who knows at the moment. But I think, it's pleasing to see some of those senior players get financially rewarded for um, some pretty long careers doing it tough early on.
1: One of the, the hard things for, for young um, men or young women who um, you know, go on tour for the first time and for a lot of these young players, uh, this is probably one of the more extended times they've been away from home. Um, how do you keep them, uh, how do you keep them focused? How do you keep them um, away from the homesick type thing and, and, and keep them you know, happy?
3: Yeah, it certainly is um, for this group. And, um, you know, we are sort of talking the other night, you throw COVID in there and that sort of takes a lot of these girls back to sort of being 12, 13-year-old kids to an extent. Um, So, yeah, even just the travel, um, the travel to start with, um, you know, none of the girls were used to that sort of long-haul flight and lots of things that they're experiencing for the first time. Um, But certainly being on the road and being away from home is pretty challenging. but no, I've been really impressed the way they've got on so well, um, so quickly as well. We didn't have much of a lead up into this. Um, it's been really impressive. Um, we've tried to do a few things, been on sort of like animal parks and things like that. Um, but like I say, the security is pretty strict. Um, so yeah, we haven't actually got out too much, unfortunately.
1: Tell, tell us about the, the level of security and why.
3: Um, I think it's just initially that there's just so many countries involved, like 16 countries, um, in terms of teams, to then actually have enough security on the ground um, that when teams are going away from um, the accommodation that they need police escorts and things like that. So I think part of it is actually just to, to be across and have enough staff um, available for all the teams. Um, yeah, but... Um, no, like everyone feels really safe It's certainly not that anything This um, area is unsafe It's just that, um, yeah <laughs> it's Maybe spread thinly in terms of resources with it But no, they're doing really well There's about 20 monkeys around the accommodation this morning So that provided entertainment for the girls Fantastic
1: uh, I, I've got to say, I mean I've been to Pontestrom. Um I didn't stay long fortunately But uh, I didn't have the chance to get to know it as well as um, as uh, your group has, has got to go, I got to know it. And um, I'm sort of, I'm not envious of you at this point, but that was quite some time ago. <laughs> um, I, I just wonder if you're getting a little bit stir crazy though.
3: Yeah, no, they've done really well. We um, we ventured out today to actually just another hotel <laughs> to sort of jump in a new pool and um, have different scenery. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's as simple as that, just changing your scenery. Um, but no, I th- they're fine. Um, I don't know, there's some singing going on upstairs at the moment and stuff. So yeah, no, they certainly entertain themselves well.
1: That's cool. Um, just overall, uh, as you look at um, women's cricket at this level, are you happy with what you're seeing? Um, you know, you've been around the game for a long time. You, you're happy with the development uh, globally?
3: Oh, certainly. The skills that are on display here at this tournament um, are really impressive. And um, you know, I think that the challenge for us at New Zealand cricket is we just we need to put a program in place that um, is like these constant steps for these players. Um, you know, if we're honest, at the moment there's a a big jump um, from sort of age group cricket. To domestic cricket and then to the international game, but what we're seeing at the moment is that it jumps at me really quickly. Um, so, you know, that's sort of my job to try and create more of these opportunities um, for these players.
1: Well, Sarah, also I guess you've you've got to um, look at the development um, and you know the continued development of the, of the younger members too of uh, the White Ferns uh, squad that uh, is currently getting ready to play um, that T Twenty World Cup. About twelve months ago, we saw the fifty over World Cup in in New Zealand, and uh, we we didn't make the playoffs, which was uh, a bit of a bummer. But um, how do you th- how do you figure in T Twenty cricket? Looking at the makeup of our side and those sides competing, how do you feel we might go there?
3: Yeah, I think if I'm honest, like a team with your Susie, um, with your Susie and Sophie and Amelia and players like that um, that are genuine match winners, um, we always we always have a chance. Um, yeah, I think in my ideal world, it would just be that our domestic competition, um, you know, provides them better preparation um, and more sort of competitive cricket when leading into these events. Um, so, yeah, I've actually really liked the fact that, you know, some of the some of the um, major associations have got overseas players and, you know, I saw some highlights on the TV the other day of Charlie Nodd and Laura Harris, um, you know, having a bit of fun at the Basin and, yeah, it looked really impressive, so all going well. Um, we can just continue to lift the standard of that Super Smash competition.
1: Yeah, that would be good because uh, that'll have a flow-on effect. Hey, Sarah, can uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to, to just enlighten us a wee bit now that it's uh, becoming very, very serious for your, your group over there. All the very best against uh, India and uh, we'll be watching from home. Thanks for your time.
3: Awesome. Thanks, Busy
1: experts in agriculture,
4: covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This
0: is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.28
1: 9.28 here on SENZ. Yesterday we asked uh, for your text to come in on the Tempa Bedpost text machine. Uh, in terms of uh, your wish list for 2023, we'd like to continue that to today. Um, if you've got the opportunity, double eight double three, double eight double three is the number. Come in and uh, give us your wish list. Um, yesterday, uh, Damien came in uh, from Sunny Omaru, a wee bit late, so we, we didn't have the opportunity to uh, read it out. Uh, my wish list to have decent people in top decision-making positions to make logical decisions in the best interests of our professional teams. Uh, looking at uh, Robinson from Ru- the Rugby CEO and Bob Carter. He was poor with the Black Ferns and adding nothing to the Black Caps currently. Why are they there? So that's uh, from Damien. He wants to see uh, the right people making the right calls. Not a bad wish. Uh, Mikey G in my top four, no uh, faith in my All Blacks, uh, so Ireland to win the World Cup, my second team, okay Mikey, you want Ireland to win the World Cup, Uh, two, put some bloody foundations down and start building the Christchurch Stadium, right, okay, I think that's on everyone's uh, wish list down there, Ryan Fox to win a major, Uh, a few people have come in with that one, and the Black Caps to win the World Cup, that is the one um, ultimate wish for Mikey uh, is really is that Black Caps win the World Cup. Um, my wish list uh, is to have decent people. Uh, oh, I've got read that one out. Sorry. Why are they there? Oh, no, that's is that the same? Yes, it is. It's the same one. Why are they there? Is the question. Yeah, that was Damien. Um, how about um, how does? And listening to the, that little um, sting that we played from uh, Staffy's show there yesterday with Mitch McLennigan, he asked about Bob Carter. Uh, Mike said, how does Bob Carter still get a gig with NZ Cricket? It beggars belief. Uh, How about trying Phillips opening now Bracewell Bracewell's a finisher? Phillips, Conway, Kane, Williamson, uh, Mitchell, Latham, Bracewell. uh, That'll be Michael, Bracewell, Santner, Sody, Southie, Ferguson, Bolt. In Indian conditions or Henry if Bolt is out. Doug Bracewell for Sodi if the fast bowling pitches are more applicable than the spin bowling pitches. So uh, come on in with uh, your wishes for 2023. Uh, we'd love to hear them um, in terms of sport. They don't not have to be sport, actually. They can be something else uh, of another nature. It's uh, 9.30 here on SENZ. We'll be focusing on tennis uh, for about the next 35 to 40 minutes. The Australian Open is high on the agenda for Everyone in the tennis world, and the sporting world, it's the, it's the biggest thing that's going on at the moment, to be fair, isn't it? Uh, here's Ottawa with uh, an update. Alright, 9.32 here on SENZ, and uh, as I mentioned, the Australian Open is... Big at the moment because it's nearing the end when the big prize money will be handed out and the trophies, of course. Uh, And uh, it was mentioned in the news by Araha, the dominating performance by Novak Djokovic. He beat Andre Rublev, who everyone thought would be a genuine threat for him. He beat him 6-1, 6-2, 6-4, and now he's going to face Tommy Paul in the semi-final.
5: Second serve, Rublev will take this on the forehand. Backhand up the line by Djokovic. Forehand cross-court by Rublev. Up the line by Djokovic with the forehand. Back up the line with the backhand with Rublev. Now working the angles up the line. The accuracy again from Djokovic with the forehand into the corner for line. a clean winner, 30-love. So Djokovic now into the backhand of uh, Rublev. Drop shot by Djokovic. It brings Rublev forward. Djokovic can go with the lob over the top. He's scampering back to the baseline. Rublev, he hooks it down the line, but uh, long. And there's the hold for Novak. What incredible scenes at Melbourne Park. Great return. It was a deep backhand there from Djokovic. We work up the middle. And it was a good deep return by Rublev because it brought about the backhand error. get into his service motion. Out to the backhand of Djokovic, cross court backhand by Rublev, trying to go line, well wide off the Djokovic racket. So it's 49. Rublev to 40-love, takes it on the forehand, Djokovic. Oh, he's whipped a winner right up the middle. 40-15 for Andre Rublev, out to the forehand of Djokovic, off forehand by Rublev, up the line, the backhand went to uh, uh, Djokovic. Rublev with a nice deep return to the forehand of Djokovic, who sent it back to Rublev, who couldn't make it over the net him. at the turtleneck. Uh, Great slider serve out wide by Djokovic. Djokovic out wide for a clean ace. It's up to the backhand here of Rublev, to the slice of Djokovic. Backhand cross-court, Rublev into the net. Three match points for Novak Djokovic. Rublev just wants to hide under a rock right now. It's just been a tough night for Andre. As Djokovic. will go out wide. The response is in there off the backhand by Rublev. And then into the net. As Djokovic went to his forehand, Rublev with another unforced error. And tonight Novak Djokovic has put on an incredible display yet again.
1: Well that's two in a row, that dominant, because he put away Alex de Minor, the Australian hope as well, and straight sets very, very quickly, so uh, he's coming right at the right time, if indeed there was anything wrong with him, and that's the key. This was uh, his reaction after the match.
6: We were here two nights ago, and you said that that match two nights ago against Alex, Diminar was the best match you've played this year. Was this one even better? Uh, I would rank it as number two, uh, but very close to the performance of two nights ago. Um, Yeah, I cannot be happier with my tennis. Honestly, I've been playing very solid from from back of the court and uh, really... Love, love playing in these conditions in this court. I've said it many times, you know, I, lo- I love playing here. Definitely most special court for me. How about the conditions tonight, which, which were a little different? You've played here just about as much as anyone. This is pretty breezy. I can feel it now. It's a lot of wind down here. How was how that to play? And did you have to make adjustments for this breeze? yes uh you have to make adjustments and adapt to the to the conditions obviously I, um it wasn't as breezy i think around six o'clock when i was warming up and uh you know all of a sudden it just started at the beginning of the match uh, especially from this end you know you have a strong wind in your back maybe for the people uh, watching on the stands or on tv they don't they don't see much of a difference but for us players it makes a huge difference you know the uh, if you're playing on that end. You're playing with a lot of pressure and um you have to kind of uh, pick and choose your shots maybe open up the court a little bit more um the ball toss is a little bit of a gamble from from this side but uh you know overall um i think that the score line in the first two sets doesn't speak the the truth or the reality of the of the match uh, you know it was some some really close games that we had Andre is, is a great opponent, he's a great player, I have tons of respect for him, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest forehands, one of the quickest players on the tour, you know, I knew uh, what the game plan was, obviously, you know, uh, one thing is to imagine how you want to play, the other thing is to execute it on the court, but uh, I think uh, if I have to sum it up, all the important shots and important moments, I, I found my best tennis, so that's, that's what makes me, I guess, uh, the most pleased tonight. We know coming into this tournament there were some days when you weren't able to practice, you were resting and trying to protect your body. What has it been like for you routine-wise? How different have your days off been in this tournament than in past years here? Well to be honest I've been uh, connected uh, to machines more than I have been connected to, uh, to anybody else or my bed or anything else really in the days off. I've uh, tried about any, any biofeedback machine there is in this planet uh, in order to get my, my leg ready. And um, it worked. Um, I'm going to keep going. So, um, you know, I miss tennis on the days off, but at the same time, I think it's, it's important to uh, um, be smart and wise, I guess, with, uh, with the body in these particular circumstances where uh, it's more important to recover and, and get ready for next challenge.
1: Yeah, so that was uh, Novak Djokovic talking to uh, Jim Courier uh, after the match there and uh, you could hear the murmuring in the background And when he started to talk about uh, the fact that he'd been connected to machines more so than his beard, etc. Uh, people still doubting him by the sounds of things in the crowd. They shouldn't, uh, really, uh, because uh, he is absolutely on fire and uh, Tommy Paul is his next opponent. Uh, Tommy Paul yesterday beat uh, Ben Shelton in the Battle of the Americans. It was... Uh, tighter it was a tighter one it was uh, four sets and uh, this is tommy paul winning the match and uh, a short interview with, with him uh, after the result
4: <laughs> oh Tommy Paul is in a major
6: semi-final for the very first time six-fourth. in his career A sagacious performance from the 25-year-old to cement his spot in the Final Four in Melbourne.
7: Tommy, I
1: get
2: the feeling you've been waiting for this moment for a long time, eh?
8: Yeah, man. (laughs) Uh, This is my first time on this court, obviously uh, my first time in the quarterfinals of a slam. Uh, It's actually Ben Shelton's first time leaving uh, the States, so I think he had a pretty good trip as well. (laughs)
7: I think you're underselling yourself. You're not just in a quarterfinal. You're a bit further than that now.
8: Yeah, man. Uh, yesterday I was doing a couple interviews, and they were asking how it felt to be in the quarterfinals. I was like, "Semifinals sounds a little better." So uh, pumped to uh, pumped to be there, um, and obviously uh, really excited for whoever I play on Friday. I mean, making it to the second weekend of a Slam—that's uh, Every everyone's dream when they start playing tennis. So I can't believe I'm here right now. Well done. Well, uh, day before, of course,
1: uh, the uh, other two semi-finalists were found. The uh, first of which is uh, probably the guy that poses the biggest threat to uh, to Djokovic winning, and and that, of course, is uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas uh, from Greece. Uh, he accounted for Jim Lachekka in uh, three sets: six-three, seven-six, six-four.
9: 5-1 in the tiebreaker for a two sets to love lead Stefanos Tsitsipas serving down the tee Backhand return floated up by Lehechka and it's attacked by Stefanos Tsitsipas The off forehand into the corner is Tsitsipas onto the forehand he runs Hits that corner, what a winner from Stefanos Tsitsipas to claim the second set Bounding into his forehand wing, hitting it cross court and finding the corner for a winner An ace from Stefanos Tsitsipas, down the tee, out of the reach of Iri Lehechka. Slightly miss hit from Tsitsipas, now lunging to the forehand wing, dropped over the net by Lehechka. Tsitsipas gets there, drops it back over, backhand volley from Lehechka, hits the baseline, swivelling around Tsitsipas, and Lehechka with the worst frame of the night. Shanks it high and into the crowd. He's dropped his racket like he was disappointed with it. Serving out wide, Lehechka, forehand to the baseline, then Tsitsipas on that cross-court forehand. Hits it behind Lahetska, down the middle of the court now the Greek, forehand hit with power by Lahetska, he's getting angry, forehand up the line from Lahetska at the net, now Lahetska is completely botched, the drop over the net, he was hitting his ground strokes with authority from the baseline, Yuri Lahetska, then as soon as he came to the net he made the error. Tsitsipas serves to the forehand Up the middle from Lahetska Then the forehand down the line from Stefanos a pass Lands in It's a winner, a beautifully struck winner Serving down the middle now Lahetska Backhand returned up the line from Tsitsipas uh, Lahetska at the net again And the overhead smash Into the open side So attacking the net more in this game here Yuri Lahetska Hit with some pace And then the overhead smash from Lahetska Into the open side for a winner. Serving out wide, forehand up the middle. Laheta comes to the net for the drop volley, cross court backhand from Stefanos Tsitsipas, passing shot, cross court is a winner, and it brings up match point for Stefanos Tsitsipas. Forehand again up the middle of the court from Tsitsipas, forehand up the middle from Lehechka, cross court backhand, Tsitsipas, and Lehechka's backhand hits the net, and it will be a fourth semi-final at the Australian Open for Stefanos Tsitsipas who wins yet another match at this tournament in
1: straight sets. Yes, and to complete the, the men's side of things, it uh, was Karen Hushinov uh, who defeated uh, Sebastian Korda. Uh, Korda was uh, forced out of the, the third set. He was three love down. I don't think there's any way back for him because he lost the first two sets, 7-6, 6-3. Six, six, and uh, he looked, uh, after a very slow start, uh, as if he struggled to get up to the pace of uh, Hushinov and his serve. Uh, he looks uh, a real... Uh, prospect is in the making. Uh, he'll place it surpass uh, in the final. But this is uh, where uh, off won the match. Okay, we don't have that audio for that one, so um, we'll move on to the women's side of things. Uh, Victoria Azarenka uh, defeated uh, Jessica Pagula. Now, well, we spoke the other day uh, to Brett Phillips, who we'll be talking to after 10 again this morning, and he said uh, Jessica Pagula was perhaps. Uh, the best chance of going on to win the women's title with the, all the other seeds falling away one by one. Uh, she was uh, seeded number three, but in the end, absolutely no match for Azarenka, the veteran.
5: Goes to the forehand of Azarenka, who rips it up the line. It is set up perfectly in the hitting zone. Ushka yeah, was dug out by Azarenka, puts in the drop shot, Pagula brings Vika forward. she got some pretty good angle, but then the door was open. She tracked it down Pagula. she was able to go up the line with the forehand Now up the line by Pergoula, beautiful, off forehand, open up the shoulders for a winner Up the middle went Pagula. up the middle with the backhand went Azarenka Centrally they work and then Pergoula goes long off the forehand Victoria Azarenka, six games to four in the opening set Azarenka takes the backhand, was powerful too, right into that forehand corner at Pagula. The look says it all from Jess Pagula. We can tell you folks, she is looking extremely frustrated. Gandhi Pagula, she's on the stretch a couple of times. Big dry volley there at the net by Azarenka. Assertive getting in, saves a break point. Backhand exchange, forehand cross court, great angle, great depth by Azarenka. The response was only just over the net by Pagula and she was in Azarenka to put it away. Central, there a wee bit more air in that one from Azarenka. Tries to flatten it out with the forehand. There's Pagula and then Azarenka with a depth again off the backhand. Punched it down the middle Floating the response back was Azarenka, both hitting with depth. A bit more air in that one. It sits up for Bagula here, the forehand from Azarenka. She went deep into the backhand of Azarenka. She dug it out again, the drop shot from Bagula. Up the line by Azarenka. There wasn't enough on that drop shot from Bagula, but she's got all the answers. Unforced error number 30 for the match of Victoria. Azarenka is maybe moments away from making another Australian Open semi-final. Azarenka puts the serve into play as Pagula's forehand right on the baseline, dug out by Azarenka, coming forward, Pagoula, can she pass, Fika, good volley, no, just wide by Pagula and Victoria Azarenka. Job well done. That is emphatic. A champion who might dream again to lift a Grand Slam trophy that many may have thought she couldn't achieve at this stage of her career and she's still in the hunt.
1: Yep, well, she's uh, a definite uh, possibility now because uh, now that she's got this far, you kind of think that her experience is going to be a major factor come the big stage. Uh, she will play uh, Elena uh, Rybakina, who defeated uh, Elena Ostapenko, 6-2, 6-4. Uh, Magda, yeah, Magda Lynette yesterday beat uh, the more fancied Carolina Pliskova, 6-3, 7-5. Lynette from uh, Poland. Um, and Irina uh, Sabolenka uh, defeated uh, Donna Vekic, And she will face uh, Magda Lynette, the pole in uh, the semi final. She won 6 3, 6 2. So uh, they are the results of the quarterfinals. And uh, we shall talk about the semi finals with uh, our commentator, Brett Phillips,
0: after the
1: break at 10 o'clock.
0: Catch all the action from the Australian Tennis Open, live every night on SENZ and 24 7 on the SENZ app.
4: Brand are experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa.
0: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got
7: to know when to hold Know when to fold Smithy's Know when to walk away and Know when to
2: run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today
1: Tennis and uh, basketball will be on the agenda today, and it's the women's semi finals. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, the two ladies whose flags they're not allowed to show, uh, Belarusians. So Victoria Izarinka to beat uh, Robakina from Kazakhstan at uh, $2.65. That would be the upset, that's the money maker in the multi. Um, Arena Sabalenka, who's highly favoured to beat uh, Magda Lynette. Uh, from poland at a dollar 22. i'll throw uh, uh Sabalenka in as well and uh doc rivers philadelphia 76ers to beat the brooklyn nets at a dollar 47. Is doc rivers still there he might have just moved on from the 76ers actually a dollar 47 anyway uh four dollars 75 is the multi there four dollars 75. incidentally the uh latest pga tournament uh, started uh, this this uh, morning New Zealand time, so uh, Danny Lee's playing in that, it's the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines, uh, he's 1-under after 5, the leader is uh, Ryder on 7-under after 14, Brandon Steele 6-under after 14 um, and then uh, you've got uh, the glamour pairing of uh, John Rahm, Tony Finau and uh, Justin Thomas are all under par as well so uh, low, well, we didn't say low scoring, 7-under but uh, interesting conditions there, it's 9.53 here on SENZ
4: brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic,
0: nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We have the chance to-
1: a definite Australian theme to the music on the show and the show itself because we're very heavily focusing on the Australian Open at the moment because we're down to the semi-finals, just four remain in the men's and women's draw with a chance to win the first Grand Slam of 2023. Suspicion still surrounds Novak Djokovic's injury status, but once again, he looked in really hot form as he punched his way through to the semi-finals in straight sets against the fifth-seeded Andre Rublev, and today is Australia Day across the ditch. So it's a, a big welcome back to the show for Brett Phillips, of course, SEN tennis commentator. And it's a happy Australia Day to you, sir.
5: Thank you, Ian. Yeah, good morning. Um, a day off for uh, yeah, plenty. <laughs> but uh, we'll keep uh, keep soldiering on at the tennis, um, which we uh, which we love. We'd have it no other way. So yeah looking forward to the business end of the tournament uh semis for the women tonight semis have been decided as you mentioned there for the men so yeah we're getting right down to the uh, right down to the business end
1: So, okay so a lot of focus uh clearly uh, brett is on novak Djokovic for a number of reasons one is amazing record there can he continue it too uh the injury cloud and he always attracts attention uh, regardless of what he does it seems uh, but just two hours to dispatch um, a player that um, you in particular noted the other day you thought was a genuine contender and Andre Rublev, and he minced him.
5: Well, it looks fine to me, uh, Ian. So I think um, it's going to take a miracle for anyone to beat Djokovic uh, from here. And, you know, his last two uh, performances have been simply sublime. You know, he's, he wiped the floor with Alex Dimonor early break against Rublev last night and and the look on Rublev's face, you know, only a handful of games into that first set sort of told the story. He just knew what sort of night he was in for. You know, how do I crack Novak? And, uh, you know, Rublev doesn't really have a plan B. Doesn't have a lot of variance in his game. He'll just try to hit harder. Uh, but when you're playing Novak, who's uh, just playing with that incredible depth and accuracy, it just forces you to overplay. And then one error becomes two, becomes three. And, the frustration sets in. So Tommy Paul has never played Novak before, so at least he hasn't got these scars from any past mm. meetings. He's obviously uh, well aware that this is going to be a huge task for him, but, you know, he's a, he's a player who was a terrific junior, um, was actually really leading that American pack when he was much younger, and then they all overtook him, and now he's catching up. <clears throat> and a very good coach, you know, a very good coach in Brad Stein has got two days to think of a game plan of how, to unrattle uh, Djokovic, because even if he is 95%, I mean, his movement is still incredible on a hard court. So it's almost, you know, I mean, it's a fait accompli what's going to happen. We can see the script unless, you know, unless uh, he has a total meltdown Djokovic, which at this stage of a tournament, he just doesn't. He doesn't lose semifinals or finals at the Australian Open. It's as simple as that.
1: I suppose Brett, uh, if there is any truth to um, the fact that he's been on machines all night uh, trying to remain relatively fit or as fit as he can be, I suppose there is an outside chance if someone like a Tommy Paul, who's a young man, can push him deep into the match, if he can get him past into the deep into the fourth set, the fifth set, uh, then the body might be under a bit more pressure than it has been in the last two matches. That might be a, an opening for him.
5: Yeah, look, no, no doubt. I mean, that, that's what we'd probably be fascinated to see if Djokovic was stretched to four or five sets. But yeah, these these guys are got to they've got to come out of the blocks. Um, you know, I mean, they, not that they are not champion at the bid, and you know, they're they're ready to go. They want to take on Djokovic, but it's almost like he just in the blink of an eye <clears throat> snuffs you out in the first. You know, three or four games, he gets that early break, and you can't peg him back. So, you know, unless you get that first set, you're just up against it all the time. He's just a great front runner, Djokovic. Uh, he rarely gets beaten. So, yeah, it's it's just a difficult assignment. Uh, it's as simple as that. And um, you know, the way he's serving, the way he's off the ground, the way he redirects the ball. Uh, he, he just makes life uh, a nightmare at that hardcourt, court. And yeah, it can be a pretty lonely place. But anyway, we'll, we'll wait and see him. And I'm all for the underdog in sport. Um, mm. You know, we want to see these guys really take him on. If he's still to win the Australian Open, it'd be great to see someone really push him to the limits to win. Uh, but he's sort of, he's looking fairly invincible right now.
1: The other semi-final uh, in the men's side of things, of course, is Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, he's the highest remaining seed, actually, as number three. Uh, he uh, accounted for Yannick Sinner the other day. It was uh, into five sets. That was his biggest challenge. But he's up against uh, a fellow with a very big serve. He's a big man. And Karen Hush- <clears throat> Hushinov, who accounted for TFO. And then, of course, he put Sebastian Korda away quite simply too.
5: He's playing uh, great tennis. when I mean, he's backed up from New York last year where he made a semi-final. So, you know, many people have always thought this is where Hushinov uh, should be. Uh, for the the type of game and the type of uh, athlete that he is, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, players with a little bit more variety have uh, been able to overtake him the last few years. So that's you know it's a tough matchup for Sitsipas. Uh, but you know Stefanus has played great tennis in this tournament. I just think he's probably going to be a bit too dynamic. That what he can do with the ball and he's uh, he's rushing at the net. Um, you know, he's got a great wingspan there. So I just think you know he. He's probably got more tools that allow him to win. Does he have a realistic chance against Djokovic if that's the matchup in the final? Look, he'll probably have a crowd on his side. I think um, you know the Greek support he'll get, although you know the Serbians do support Novak Djokovic. I mean, that would be the best atmosphere on Rod Laver Arena if those two did match up. That both supporter bases have been here in big numbers in this tournament, and you know, could could um, you know the crowd factor help you know Sitsi pass if he wins them over, which you know he has been able to do uh, right throughout this tournament. So um, yeah, it's you know probably time for Steph to step up uh, this year and and claim one of the majors, but it's still difficult when you got Djokovic so dominant on a hard court and a grass court, and Rafa on a on a clay court. Uh, That's that's still the Mm. challenge for these guys
1: women's side of the draw is uh, interesting in that uh, basically uh, apart from Arena uh, sabalenka who uh, is the fifth seed uh, the rest of the names went pretty early on in the piece you recommended that perhaps that pagula might be the one to beat uh, but uh, she was absolutely no match in her quarter final so uh, here we go uh, we're looking at Arena uh, sabalenka uh, up against uh, Magdalena net from poland
5: Well, yeah, I mean, I've been pretty bullish about Sabalenka the last fortnight. Um, So, yeah, I think uh, I think you know it's hers to lose in in a sense because of the way she has uh, stepped up with her serve uh, in terms of uh, you know the the double fault numbers. Although there was a few more in the last game, but I mean she you know, still wiped the floor three and two there with Donna Vekic so she could afford a few extra double faults uh, because she won the grand battle so convincingly. And I just think mentally she's in a really good place because uh, she can be a bit volatile, but she seems to have the emotions under control. So I think she brings the fairy tale run to an end of uh, Magdalenette. And the other one's a really tough one to call. It should be a great matchup. I mean, right back is all that firepower and, and Vika's going to try and sort of counter that and... Now just use a really good smart set on the tennis court to mix things up. Uh, Still still a good ball striker, uh, but not getting the same, you know, winner speed as what a Rye Buckner would. So she's got to play a different type of game as a Rinka. But her returning uh, the other night, I was just watching her against Pagula, and she just got herself into a great spot. She anticipated, read the serve well, and she was getting that first strike back up the middle of the court, and immediately you're under a bit of pressure in your service games. That's what she's got to try and do, although she's dealing with a a bigger server tonight in Rye Buckner who will make that assignment a little bit more difficult.
1: I was reading this morning um, a story of a, a, a protest overnight, uh, some sort of protest involving the Russian flag and Putin, etc. it was put to bed pretty quickly, was it?
5: Yeah, I think so. I, I, I left after the Djokovic match and I, I saw there was quite a few Serbian fans around who looked there, they were fine, they were just happy and great atmosphere singing and... Everything else, I didn't see anything to myself until I probably got home. I saw a little bit on social media, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's sort of been diffused. And it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about Australia Day today. What are what are people allowed to bring into the tennis? And will there be um, yeah anyone uh, coming in wearing t-shirts or flags? I mean, there's all these sorts of rules. Some I think are a little bit over the top, but um, yeah, I think. Uh, We'll see if anything is disruptive in the last few days of the tournament, where people sometimes use the Australian Open to make a statement about a cause. So I think, you know, if I think back, the last few years we've had an interruption of some sort on Rod Laver Arena, which is hard to control. Uh, you know, for security, you know, they're doing their their level best, but someone will always possibly sneak through and uh, do something untoward. But we'll, yeah, hopefully have that all in check.
1: Australia does still have uh, some interest in the tournament, of course, um, with uh, the men's doubles team, uh, Kubler and Hijikata.
5: Great win yesterday, knocking off uh, the top seeds and the, and the most successful doubles pairing of last year, Wesley Kuloff of the Netherlands and Neil Skupski of GB. So, yeah, they played dynamic tennis. Uh, great synergy right throughout the tournament. Uh, there's something about men's doubles at the Australian Open after Kokonakis and Kyrgios last year. It was the All-Australian finals, mm. we know, playing Ebden and Purcell. So... Yeah, I wouldn't put it past these boys um, to uh, maybe go all the way. Uh, they're playing Granolas and Zabias in the semi. Spanish-Argentinian pair who have got plenty of experience in, in doubles and gone deep into slams. Uh, but, yeah, Rinky and Jason love have the crowd behind them. Uh, they're two terrific young guys, good singles careers ahead of them, and uh, they've combined beautifully in the dubs. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. We've, got, we've still got something left, in, which is nice.
1: What, what about your commitments uh, over the next uh, two or three days what, what matches are you calling
5: yeah we'll continue to call um obviously the semis tonight back to back so myself and jordan Canellas will be calling the semis and then uh, yeah the men's semis will be split what across the day and night tomorrow so we'll be right across that and uh yeah women's final and men's final saturday sunday night so We'll bring that to everyone on uh, SCNZ, and looking forward to it. Uh, is you know, if I think back to last year with Barty, it was probably my most enjoyable night sitting in the box, and I, I love the interaction mm-hmm. from our listeners as well. It's a great part about radio. There's A lot of people out there who are not near a TV set, and the radio um, can bring them inside Rod Laver Arena wherever they might be. So uh, yeah, we, we're hoping for a, a terrific finish, not an Aussie victory in the singles, but yeah, I think we'll get uh, we'll get a couple of cracking finals, however it looks.
7: How,
1: how do you prepare for you know semi-finals of grand slams and finals? You know, is it does it you take it up a notch? I mean, do you work your way through the fortnight like the players, or <laughs> do you take each match as it comes as such?
5: Yeah, I think you're just in the zone of each uh, each match, and you know, as, as you know with the radio medium, um, you know, you you're really trying to take people and paint a picture and. You know, I've been really lucky the last fortnight to have uh, some great tennis minds alongside me. Um, you know, either ex-players or you know, journalist broadcasters who live and breathe the sport pretty much uh, 12 months of the year. So their insights are are valuable. I enjoy um, you know picking the brain of them and, and their many thoughts on the tour because it is such a, a big sport to cover. Uh, so yeah, I think it's you know just the focus and. The concentration, the adrenaline just sort of pumps through, uh, Ian, uh, through not much sleep over the last uh, fortnight. But, (laughs) yeah, it's great fun. You know, I think uh, tennis on the radio is an interesting sport to try and call and describe and take people inside. And, yeah, we try and have a little bit of fun as well. And and we we love the input because, you know, the the listeners out there, and I encourage anyone, you know, listening to your show today, uh, you know, joining the discussion with us, throw your views in and, and we've got some great names in the box who you can pick the brain of, uh, you know, including Mark Woodford last night. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll go again tonight all the way through to Sunday.
1: Well, you're portraying it uh, brilliantly from our perspective. Uh, long may that continue. Uh, all the best with your calls over the next uh, three or four days, uh, Brett. And uh, thanks again for your time this morning. Uh, most most valuable to us.
5: Pleasure, Ian. Talk soon.
1: Yeah, cheers. Uh, Brett Phillips here, of course. Uh, He's uh, doing the the commentary duties on behalf of SEN um, in terms of uh, the Australian Open, and uh, yes, uh, it's uh, getting to that point uh, where uh, it's almost becoming uh, predictable, particularly on the men's side of things, and uh, I I think really for Tommy Paul or whoever tries to beat uh, Novak Djokovic, they've got to test this injury theory, Uh, and by that I mean they've got to make sure that he is stressed and strained, the rallies are long. Um, You know, he's reaching a wee bit more, which always puts pressure on a hamstring. Little things like that, if they can manage to get some sort of parity in in those long rallies and force him long, uh, that's when you might uh, see the trainer come out or the pressure go on Novak Djokovic because it appears at this stage only this uh, injury, I say, in inverted commas, um, is the thing that's likely to beat him. Uh, He's just playing so well. Uh, 10.18 here on SENZ, and we'll have a panel next.
4: You succeed in your field. Summer or
0: winter, he's the voice of sport in our Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ
4: Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk,
1: Stuff reporter David Long is uh, with us uh, this morning, along with uh, Brendan Bradford from uh, Code Sports. And uh, my understanding is that that David Long is at Warriors practice uh, as we speak, uh, just having a look at uh, things uh, panning out there. Uh, David, which brings me to uh, an interesting point: uh, you won't be watching Taniela or at pra- training because he's walked out on the club. Can you please explain what happened there? <laughs> yeah, hi there.
7: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, is not here. Um, Yes, yeah, so it's a bit of a, an odd one, this. He, um, he, he's always sort of talked about as, um, you know, a future guys inspired the Warriors, and he was sort of owned the, the number nine jersey at the club for a few years. Um, but I, what I heard, he was, got a bit um, disappointed last year when the, they bought in Freddie Lussick from the Roosters um, to be the sort of backup number two for Wade Egan, and, and he sort of dropped down to the number three in a pecking order, and... Um, and then I think he felt the situation was going to be the same this year, and so he went to the club recently and said, uh, "I want a release." And um, they were a bit surprised, but he he, if he wants to go. They, he told the club that he didn't want to play footy anymore. Um, but I understand he's going to he's, he's moving back to Brisbane to play in the Queensland Cup. Um, he's I heard he's got a, a partner over there um, that he met during the time when the Warriors are based at Redcliffe. So. um, I think that might have something to do with the reason as well. But, yeah, it's surprising that um, he decided that he no longer wants to be a part of the Warriors.
1: Well, please tell us uh, that's the only pre-season casualty. There's no other rumours floating around, is there?
7: Uh, Not about anybody else leaving, no, no. Um, I think the squad's out, um, so, in terms of anybody leaving. But they have got four spots uh, uh, on the roster now available, for 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 this year, sorry. I have heard actually that um, three of the younger guys who are in the New South Wales Cup team, which is the reserve grade, I've been told um, you can train with us um, with the NRL NRL team for the next few weeks and see how it goes. So they could be looking to promote within. Uh, um, I don't understand that's what they want to do. They don't want to be. They, you know, for the past two years, this reasons they've um, had to get Australian players in because they've had no reserve grade or no no junior team because of COVID. Um, and now they, now that they're back, they want to sort of be a club that promotes from within again now. So um, a few guys there, they, they've, they've now said this is try and trial and see how you get on. Um, but they are also looking for another prop. So they desperately need another uh, big middle forward before the, before the season starts.
1: Okay, right. Uh, Brendan Cole is uh, Brendan Cole, oh, Brendan Bradford from Code Sports. It was a misread. Sorry, uh, Brendan. Um, I've got to uh, bring you in on rugby if I can, uh, because uh, uh, Stephen Moore. Now, often when you hear a, a former Wallabies hookers uh, talking uh, or moaning about things, it's usually Phil Kearns. But here we have uh, Stephen Moore coming out and saying uh, there's a lack of vision in rugby's leaders. Um, what is he meaning by that?
10: Yeah, he's he's actually like you say. Usually, when you hear former Wallabies, former Wallabies captains come out and speak in the media, it's pretty hot air and bluster, especially over the past sort of ten or fifteen years. But Stephen Moore, uh, I spoke to him last week. He just he made some really uh, decent points and really level-headed points about there's so many underlying issues with Rugby Australia, with the Wallabies, with the game more generally um, over here in Australia. And you know, they look that to be honest, they haven't. Uh, Set the world on fire at all over the past decade or so, and um, I think his point was, you know, they 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 sacked Dave Rennie, um, they've hired Eddie Jones, and there's a bit of positivity around it, but it just seems like more of the same. They're they're dealing with this top end stuff, but not really addressing the the underlying issues that are causing, uh, that have caused such a a steep drop off for Rugby Australia and for the Wallabies over the past sort of twenty years, and that goes right down to the the grassroots to to super rugby expansion um almost he's almost getting into sort of jobs for the boys territory as well so um it's a it's a really you know well thought out and, and reasoned um critique it's not all yeah hot air and, and bluster like you see on on you know from some guys but uh yeah and it's it's, it's certainly created a, a few talking points for the game over in australia
1: Brendan, one of the other talking points around the world of rugby, of course, is uh, the tackle height now um, at various levels of rugby. But it seems uh, from Rugby Australia they don't have uh, any plans at all in this direction. No,
10: nah, nothing at all. I think they've got, uh, yeah, like I guess going back to what Steve said, they've got a few few issues they need to uh, clean up in house rather than than focusing on that. I saw. Yeah, the the English and and some of the Irish rugby unions over the last couple of days trying to address the tackle height issue. And hey, look, that that honestly, that one seems like it's just going to continue being being an issue, being a talking point um, for as long as the games played. I mean, um, you can, I could sort of see both sides of it. You get, you you want to make the game as safe as possible and make it, um, you know, you you want kids to be able to play it and want parents to be able to put their kids into the sport knowing that they're going to be safe, but you know, on the other side of it, occasionally you know accidents do happen, and that's 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 the thing with contact sports. So there's there's probably a middle ground there where, where you've got to you know find the way forward. But um, yeah, certainly when it comes to Australian rugby, um, they got they've got a lot of issues on their plate, and um, no, this one hasn't come up yet over here.
1: Okay, right, uh, David Long uh, with us And uh, Brendan Bradford uh, from uh, Code Sports uh, They'll uh, continue to be with us We'll take a short break uh, for an update with Araha And when we come back, uh, some more rugby league to talk about A bit of cricket, a bit of uh, netball as well
4: Big talk, big opinions, the panel talk, talk there, talk to me, yeah.
1: So Brendan Bradford is with us from Code Sport. Uh, Brendan is a Kiwi and of course uh, at this stage living and working in Australia. David Long, of course, uh, well-known stuff uh, journalist, is with us as well. And uh, fellas, I'd like to continue um, on the rugby league theme if I could. Uh, David, uh, there's uh, been some fairly high-powered squads named for these uh, matches that are uh, supposedly taking part uh, in Rotorua uh, on Saturday the 11th of February. You look at uh, a Superstars outfit, which includes Joseph Manu, James Fisher-Harris, Joseph Tapani, Jared Wairia Hargraves, up against the Indigenous All-Stars, including Latrell Mitchell, Josh Carr Nico Hines, uh, Selwyn Kobo. Now, those are names that will attract um, anyone um, in, in terms of the men's match. Of course, there's the, the women's game as well, uh, featuring um, Māori stars, including Kennedy Charrington and Zahara Tamara, uh, Olivia Koenig, uh, and uh, the indigenous, indigenous side has Shaley Bent. Caitlin Johnson and Jamie Chapman. Now these are all high profile players of course David, but uh, I think the big question mark is with what's going on at the NRL, uh, will these matches happen?
7: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, I did a bit of digging around in this actually yesterday and at the moment the games are going on. Um, the uh, Rugby League Players Association in Australia, they're sort of leaving it for the players to decide You know what sort of action they want to take and I guess there'll be some discussions among some leading players um, over the next um, week about whether they want to take part in or not. I think one of the things, one of the factors, is, is that um, um, which is different to other sort of um, protests that the players have got going at the moment over not doing media or not doing anything to do at all with the NRL the, the media, media side of it, is um, that this, this, these games mean an awful lot to the players—the chance to. To represent, you know, your the, the Maori culture or the Indigenous culture um, goes beyond just playing any other pre-season game or any other game for money. So that might be a factor in why they might might want to play, um, and that that might that's made me think perhaps it will go ahead. Um, I think the other issue is with the with the women's players over that they still don't have a, a collective bargaining agreement um, for them, and so that. Um, while well, the NRL say that they are, they have some insurance for the game. Um, uh, there's no private insurance um, for them, and unlike um, in the men's NRL, where players have you know signed contracts for two or three years, 99% of the players in the NRLW is just one year-by-year contract. So, but most of them, it, they, you know, they they don't have a contract, but they can do the and if they pick a number of injuries. It's the, the uh, RLPA are still unsure about what they'll be covered for and whether they would cover work, uh, sorry, their, their contracts, if they were to get one next year or, or whatever, really. So it's it's a bit of a mess. Um, and we'll, I guess, know over the next week what, what's going to happen.
1: It's an interesting one for me, this, uh, Brendan, because this is a very high-profile um, event coming off on February the 11th because of uh, the Indigenous side of it as well. But if the players involved, and let's not forget that the NRL um, have jurisdiction over this game, if the players wanted to make a statement and not turn up, that would illustrate just how serious they are about these uh, these claims they're trying to make.
10: Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting one. With like, I think if it was um, like just a trial match or just a preseason game without the, if it wasn't, you know, in Indigenous versus Maori All Stars game, I think a lot of these players might take that option but um i've spoken to so many particularly of the particularly the uh, the women's players who um hold this game in such high regard um i I did an interview with butiel viddie welch last year who um she's not playing this year she suffered an acl injury midway through last season but uh she was born and raised in far uh northland in new zealand moved to australia when she was about 12 or 13 so she plays for a she represents sort of test uh, on test match level. She plays for Australia, but uh, when she, when she plays in this match, she's really representing her culture, her family, her identity. Um, and as she was, you know, she was just sort of explaining in a way that it, it means so much more. On It's, it's just on a different level. Um, so at, at the end of the day, it's, it's a really tough decision. Some of these players are making, um, you know, whether to risk injury training and playing, um, but also really wanting to represent their culture. Um it's a it's a really tough one. I don't think I mean I know Tamika Upton has has pulled out just over fears of of injury. Racine McGregor suffered an MCL injury a couple of days ago. So um it's a really interesting one. But I, I think yeah, I think more players will play. Uh, but I think if it was a uh, yeah, if it was a, a different kind of all star setup or if it was just a preseason match, you'll probably see a few more withdrawals than you would
1: okay interesting um well i, I i'm just going to uh, play the waiting game on this one uh, because uh, at some point um, both sides are going to play some very hard ball leading into the nrl and I, I just wonder whether they might use this game as a bit of a vehicle for that uh, it's a bit of a standoff at the moment uh netball uh, david long uh, overnight um uh, new zealand uh, blew out against australia again they had a poor third quarter by the sounds of things uh, lost 56 50. Uh, a lot of um, encouraging thoughts uh, coming from some of the players about uh, how they're developing along but is it, is it just me or is there a pattern of having very poor quarters in this team?
7: It's right, it has been during this this quad series as well you mentioned the third quarter today and you think back to the earlier game against Australia when they're up by eight um, in the second quarter and it's not often you see the Silver Ferns up by eight against Australia early in the game but then they blew that one as well Um think you've got to sort of I guess in some ways take, take uh, this tournament on for what it is and how Lowling Lintaro is treating it which is as a warm-up for the World Cup because if you win the World Cup then this is forgotten about and you can see with um, especially, particularly in the earlier game against Australia where she changed five of the team at half-time um, you know, that, that's her mentality however you know to, to lose again to Australia like this it, it's slightly concerning and I guess it does sort of point to the fact that they didn't probably are the second best team in the world, um, but you just got to, I guess, see how things develop over the next the next few months. I, I certainly you'd have, you'd have to say the um, way well, Australia played at the moment, there's, there's definitely distance between the two teams.
1: Right, um, Brendan. Uh, just looking at some cricket now. Um, Australia's in pretty good shape, I feel. Anyway, having just worked over there for a, a few weeks, uh, I think they're in pretty good nick heading towards uh, India for the. Border a Gavaska trophy which is very very high profile of course it means a lot to both countries um, but not uh, I think uh, you wouldn't be saying too much about uh, our backup bowling unit anyway um, they just unable it seems to uh, contain a very strong Indian side do you read anything into that are you, are you worried at all from that side of the Tasman looking back towards the black gaps?
10: Ordinarily I'd be very worried but um, just if you take a sort of a big picture I, I get Taking a, a couple of these untested guys over to India, getting some experience in the conditions leading into the World Cup. Um, while you know, while while Salvi, Bolton, and and guys like that either you know, apply their trade in T20s in or, or arrested for the the series uh, before the World Cup. Um, I, I'd actually look at the batting a little bit. <laughs> um, you yeah. you've got some high-powered, uh, you know, big-name established stars in that batting lineup, and. So far, apart from that, that sort of first, uh, the first match, um, a little bit underperforming. But yeah, I, I, I don't think, um, you, like you mentioned, it's a massive year for for Australian cricket with uh, a couple of big, huge, actually, um, test tours. But uh, for New Zealand, I think <clears throat> this this tour of India is, is more of a uh, you know feeling out process, getting guys used to the conditions, getting guys in the setup. Uh, you know, looking ahead long-term long towards, uh, towards the World Cup and, and, and other tours like that.
1: Uh, David, you, are you at all concerned? Uh, I mean, uh, my, from my point of view, I find it a little bit unusual that uh, when you're going to go to a country and play in a, a World Cup, uh, you don't take key players, you, you rest them for a series at home, and, and your head coach himself uh, doesn't go either. Um, I know they've all had uh, quite a lot of experience in Indian conditions, etc. But I just wonder, in terms of a side that's not performing that well, all of a sudden and needs some grunt. Um, whether that's a bit of a risk, not taking your big boys?
7: Yes, yeah, uh, I guess it is. I mean, you think back to what we had to look forward with the Silver Ferns about how um, Naveen Taru was treated with the boss cherry, as a House, so Obviously, he doesn't have his own no condition factor in netball and there is really in cricket. But yeah, you would have thought maybe that you did sort of try to keep this as a sort of dry land for, for the World Cup and have some of them boys be there. And, style, uh, there. Um, and I think it is, it is a bit of about how the bowlers were over there. And also, as well, I think it's going to be it seems to be okay. But, um, yeah, I, I just, um, I don't know. it just seems, there's so much quicker these days on that you, just think you can choose when, uh, when they're going the best teams or when going
1: to, to second the, 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 the just having trouble there with uh, david's line i'm i'm not quite sure whether um he's at the bottom of uh, a ruck situation at warriors training or it sounds a wee bit like it he was uh, struggling a wee bit there but uh, we've uh, pretty much uh, come to the end of it anyway it's 10:43 uh, here on SENZ, so uh, my thanks to to David Long who we just uh, lost contact with at the end and uh, Brenton uh, Bradford, first time I've talked to Brenton, so uh, really enjoyed that and uh, we'll do that again very shortly I'm sure Uh, another panel tomorrow morning uh, around about the same time and uh, yeah, we'll uh, take a short break and uh, when we come back um, we shall have a pacing for purpose horse for you
0: with Ian Smith on SENZ It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose
1: Season 2. Yes, indeed, and our uh, Women's Refuge Fund has uh, benefited by $607.50 at this stage. None of us uh, across the shows uh, had a winner last week, uh, so we'll all hope to do better this week for our respective charities. Uh, We've got uh, one running around at 7.22 uh, tomorrow night at Addington race five number six ted's legacy it's been very consistent and dogged of late uh, can win this and is due so ted's legacy race five uh, number six at addington tomorrow night at 722 mentioned before that uh, the farmers insurance open is in round one at tory pines sam Ryder from america brendan Steele from america uh, andrew novak um, and sam stevens uh, lead the way at the top of the leaderboard and uh, Jason Day, the Australian, is the first of the non-Americans to, to break the run that they've got. They dominate the leaderboard at the moment. And our very own Danny Lee, after nine holes, is uh, one under the card. One under the card. Uh, right, so we've got racing at uh, Hastings today. Uh, we'll talk to Louis Herman Watt very shortly uh, about prospects. Uh, he might just have a winner or two for us as well. We'll see if the locals can uh, pick one or two up as well. And also, uh, we shall be talking to uh, Pip Morris, hopefully. Uh, There are greyhounds on and some sports betting to be had.
2: Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan.
1: Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, at 10.55 We're about 47 minutes away from the first race at Hastings. It's a good forward track. uh, Weather uh, absolutely beautiful, Louis. And a, uh, what, we've got a 10 race card finishing around 5 o'clock tonight. So uh, some good runners in.
8: Yeah, that's right, Smithy. It's a um, a nice race meet there at Hastings today. And I think there are a couple of horses that have kind of shown themselves in the market already across the card that give you the lead on where they're going. One would be race three, Whiskey Neat. OP Rides. Whiskey Neat. I reckon for a period of time, Whiskey Neat, oh, I think I've got the right horse, maybe was going to be a Caracamella favourite. Favourite a few years ago. He's since gone and raced in Hong Kong. He's had forty-three starts, just the two wins for eight seconds. And the market kind of tells you everything you need to know here. Six dollars into three twenty for Tony Pike. So uh, when they've got Patton, another horse in the same race. So that's one to follow. Um and in race number seven, there's a horse called ooh, seven, Raymond race eight Financer. Uh, here we go. Financer by Opie Blossom and Stephen Marsh. So I think Opie's going to have a big day. That one really well on debut. Did Financer in race eight? Uh, I think the $2.70 shopping now, you've lost a dollar, but I can imagine this horse being backed and backed throughout the day. But my best of the day, Smithy, uh, the one that I mm-hmm. want to be backing, is race six, number 10, Diva Dynasty. And I'm happy to see a bit of market support now. $4 into $3.60, $1.65 a place. She should have won a. She should have broken her maiden by now. Um, she's been unlucky two starts back to the races, and if Sam Weatherly can just get her out from that wide draw, just have one crack at them down the outside of that beautiful Hastings track, I think she'll be going past them. That's race number six, number ten, Diva Dynasty.
1: We'll catch up with you tomorrow, Louis, uh, if we can, because uh, it's Wellington Cup weekend, so we better have a chat about that uh, tomorrow. eh?
8: Yeah, for sure. The uh, mister he Sharrick's got
1: a mortgage on it, doesn't he? Yeah, it looks like it. It looks like it. Um, yeah, he'll be uh, expecting big things out of his team down there. There's no doubt about it. Louis Herman Watt uh, with us there, uh, with his feet up for the afternoon, hopefully. Uh, but always working uh, is uh, Paul Moati. Uh, Paul, uh, thanks very much for joining us um, on this uh, Thursday morning. Uh, Australian Open is still pretty much top of the agenda in terms of the sports betting, but uh, it has to be said, uh, what Djokovic at 117 is really only multi-value, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he uh, situates in terms of punters' interest a number of multi-tickets with Novak Djokovic on there to win the Australian Open. On the women's side, it's a wee bit more open. Um, Victoria Azarenka, uh, a former winner. Uh, but as an outsider in her semi-final against Elena Ribakina, um, and the punters are saying that this is where her march stops. They've backed Reebokina at the dollar forty-five in that semi-final uh, to beat Victoria Azarenka. Also got the NFL playoffs on uh, this weekend, Smitty, with the Eagles taking on the 40 ers in the NFC Championship game, and the Chiefs taking on the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. Uh, in terms of the NFC, it's fairly even uh, betting uh, both the Eagles and the 40 ers but punters have said the Bengals will be heading to their second straight Super Bowl. They've backed the Bengals. 90% of turnover in that head-to-head market on Cincinnati to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, who are currently $1.87.
1: Yeah, I think, Paul, there's a big injury cloud over Mahomes, isn't it? And Joe Burrow, at the moment, the Bengals quarterback, is uh, on fire. So we'll keep an eye out for that market. Paul Mowadi there from the TAB. And the injury to Patrick Mahomes, who's got an upper ankle sprain, um, but he says he's determined to play uh, how fit will he be because uh, when he is fully fit his legs are a big asset to his game right uh, after the break we shall be going to uh, New Zealand Bloodstock uh, the officers there and be talking uh, in depth about what's coming up to Kane Jones the Karaka sales just around the corner
4: in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From
0: behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: had uh, an Australian theme to the music this morning, uh, you might have uh, picked that up the lads have been strong on Australia Day today, um, so uh, they're celebrating that over there, and uh, on that theme uh, there'll be a lot of Australians heading in this direction uh, now and towards the end of this week because uh, Karaka is back for 2023 and this year's yearling sales are on beginning this Sunday at the Karaka Sales Centre uh, with book one going under the hammer from 11 o'clock International buyers uh, back in the country. It's shaping to be a great week for the industry, with all yearlings purchased eligible for the lucrative Karaka Millions races, of course, which were last weekend. Now, a man very close to the action, uh, Kane Jones from uh, New Zealand Bloodstock, joins us to talk uh, a wee bit more about this year's edition. Kane, uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, Normally, this um, really does coincide with Karaka Millions. This time, uh, they're a week apart. What was the reasoning for that this year?
11: Yeah, morning, Smithy. It's a pleasure to be on the show. First of all, um, it, was, it was a little bit different this year. We were away from Ellerslie, as we know they're um, they're um, undergoing a massive track um, upgrade and renovation, which is um, something we're all looking forward to, and, and just a little bit of a scheduling thing as well. So, um, we've already enjoyed the Karakamillion Million uh, race night at Pukekohe, and uh, taken out by Tokyo Tycoon, and, and the three-year-old taken out by, uh, by Pro West. So. A couple of really good results for Tiakio and for the King's Clare stable, and uh, some very happy owners looking to reinvest uh, on Sunday and and into the week.
1: And interesting, too, uh, and uh, as a result of course, those sales, um, those horses are eligible because they're bought at your sale for those particular races. Uh, One owned by um, a syndicate of payers and uh, people, and and, uh, Tokyo Tycoon, and the other are owned by an individual in Prowess. So um, it it just shows the spectrum of horse ownership, doesn't
11: it? Oh, absolutely. And uh, and as we keep saying, every horse that that goes through the ring as uh, a Karaka Sale is eligible to be uh, entered in the series. Um, and so it's a, it's just an amazing uh, series, and, and, and such a a quick um, opportunity to to return your investment. Uh, the two odds we're racing. Uh, for that million-dollar race, less than a year ago, or less than a year that they were purchased, and in, in the three-year uh two years. So to be racing for a million dollars in uh, two races on the night is, is just quite phenomenal.
1: Okay, yeah, can can you uh, illust- uh, illustrate for us uh, how the week shapes up in terms of your catalogues?
11: Yeah, so we've got you were spot on earlier. We we kick off book one on Sunday at eleven a.m. and we sell for three days uh, in book one Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then we roll straight into book two on uh, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So it's a, a big six days of selling. We've got uh, about 1,100 horses to go through the ring. Um, and, and as you mentioned, it's the first time in three years that we've been welcoming or we're able to welcome our international guests back. So just a massive buzz around the grounds, and, and, and it sort of feels like a big family reunion. We're, we're welcoming all our friends back from Australia and, and further field as well, right through Asia and, uh, and through America and uh we're just we're buzzing and we're we're so happy to have them back. I
1: was going to say that means a lot of hospitality on on your behalf,
11: yeah, it certainly does well, we're very lucky and uh fortunate to have the the beautiful new uh, double tree by Hilton Karaka hotel here on site now uh and I can tell you that's been pulled for a long time now it's been totally booked out uh it's absolutely heaving uh the restaurant and bar is uh, is packed out every night and then it's just such an amazing asset to have but um all the vendors uh, love to have their own little hospitality, so you can you can get some nice uh, anywhere from ni- a nice breakfast at Carramore to a, a beautiful lunch at uh, at Trelawney or Pencaro or, or Waikato Stud, and then maybe finish off with a beer or an ice cream somewhere. I know uh, Little Avondale and, and Windsor Park are doing very very good beers. I can uh, I can give you the tip.
1: <laughs> that's great. I mean, it's it's one of the highlights of the whole thing, wooing buyers. I mean, that that's the nature of the game. And uh, who are some of the big players coming in from overseas that we haven't seen on our shores lately?
11: Yeah, yeah, we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen the internationals uh, for the last few years, of course. But uh, I was wandering around yesterday doing doing some work, and uh, Peter Moody is here. Uh, Mick Price. Uh, Trent Buston and Natalie Young are here, and then a lot of the Aussie agents, Andy Williams, Bevan Smith, Craig Groundsfield, Paul Moroni, Guy Molcaster looking for uh, Chris Waller of course, Simon Zarr is here, but uh, in saying that all the Kiwis are here uh, in force as well. We've got uh, Alan Sharrick looking to spend a lot of his Taranaki money, and we've got the, the Wexford team, uh, the, the, uh, the strong Tiakau team of course, and We've got uh, Roger James and Robert Wellwood looking to reinvest some of that money after Pro uh, winning the three-year-old Shark a Million on Sunday and um, go racing. Um, Andrew Forsman, Stephen Marsh, the list goes on. So um, the the planes are still arriving and people are still arriving on site. So that uh, that list is just getting bit bigger by the minute.
1: Kane, what about uh, Asian interest?
6: Yeah, we've got a
11: good turnout from uh, Hong Kong. Um, some good trainers i know a, a, a name that uh, everybody knows uh Jimmy richards he's coming down so it'd be great to see him him down here and buying some nice horses for his good um local owners up in hong kong um, and some other trainers and and um we've actually got a bit of interest from japan and uh and through um, southeast asia right through macau and malaysia and, and singapore and then like i touched on even some american interest as well so a um a real sort of Diversified buying bench and, and quite a spread across various countries That we, we love to sell to
1: Expectations must be uh, Pretty high Kane, because uh, You you, know, you managed wonderful numbers last year I think you're up uh, around about 24% um, Last year in book one with a clearance Rate of uh, 77% overall Which was when you consider so much Of it was done remotely was a remarkable Result you must be expecting even better this year
11: Yeah The sale uh, has held up Phenomenally well over the last couple of years under uh, pretty trying circumstances to be fair, um, but yeah, I think I think the um, the massive international interest and, and attendance, coupled with the 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 way our, our stallions and our horses are just flying and performing at all our major jurisdictions, particularly Australia, I think that bodes very very well for a, a pretty buoyant sale over the next week.
1: Right, let's uh, look at the proven sires, uh, whose progeny should go pretty well. The, the ones that have performed well in the past in the ring.
11: Yeah, so when we talk about proven sires, Bill is, is always uh, top of the list, and he's certainly king of the castle. He's an amazing sire, and he's certainly he's getting older now, but he's certainly not slowing down. He's a phenomenal sire, and, and love and one we love to uh, sell here at Karaka. But uh, horses like Per and Kanto are, are flying. Ocean Park's always been a proper proven sire, and one that has really, really put his hand up in recent times is Prus. he's just he's been a revelation recently. He's he's won four of the group um, ones here in New Zealand this season alone, and uh, and he's probably got the the best uh, couple of three-year-old fillies going around in Legato and uh, and Pro West. So he's really, really jumped out of the ground, and 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 uh, he's got his name up in lights, and, and it's well deserved.
1: What about new size? Are you hearing any rumours about uh, interest in uh, any one or two of those?
11: Yeah, so Super Seth is probably the uh, the big new horse. Uh, he's he's a, um, a high quality son of Dunhill, who's who's standing there at Washington Stud. Um, he was a, a very, very good winner of the um, of the Caulfield Guineas over there in Australia and, and I think if anyone remembers the race or, or watches the replay, his, his turn of foot to run down alligator blood was just devastating and and something that needs to be seen to be believed. He's a he's a proper horse, and he's leaving very very nice looking horses, and, and one we're really excited to uh, to sell uh, next week. Um, but there's other horses. There's uh, there's Winspell, who um, stands down there at Grange Willia. Um, uh, Ten Sovereigns we've got, and then a, a heap of um, new Australian size as well. So there's a good breed of uh, first season size that we're looking forward to selling.
1: When a horse is passed, in, so it doesn't meet, uh, doesn't go on the market in terms of its uh, required sale price, as such. What happens then, uh, from your point of view?
11: Yeah, so we've got a we've got a, a team who's uh, really really active in the ring, and, and we've seen all these horses multiple times. So if a horse doesn't pass, in, we're we're working hard to see who the underbidders were, where the interest was coming from. Uh, and we, we've got a facility where you can you can inquire online and, and make an offer or, or make an inquiry and, and we can touch base and, and try and sell those horses afterwards and it's something we, uh, we're proud of and, and we we, we, uh, we uh, yeah, do a really good job of selling them and if they don't meet the reserve in the ring we we can sell them afterwards and we're working hard into the night and later into the sale and, and even after the sale to, to sell those horses and, and get those clearance rates um, heading in the right direction.
1: Well, you need, obviously you need buyers in, in your uh, industry and you need, um, you need investors or, or people that are prepared to go into horses now. Uh, syndication of horses is becoming um, quite a, a notable thing. I mean, it's been going for years, but the size of the syndicates uh, are getting bigger and bigger all the time, uh, Kane, So if, if I'm, uh, I haven't got you know, say I had $5,000, $2,500, $5,000, $5, I'm not going to buy a horse yep. in the ring, but how, how can I get involved?
11: Yeah, so syndication is, is becoming a massive part of uh, of racing, not not only here in New Zealand but worldwide. And uh, we've got some great syndication syndication outfits in uh, New Zealand, headed by Tiarkio and Go Racing, but there's, there's a number of others. Um, they're they're more than willing to uh, to touch base with anyone and, and field any inquiries. And a lot of these horses they buy are on spec, so they buy them without actually having owners lined up. And um, as soon as they buy them, people will register their interest and they'll sell down. Just, um, either small or or sometimes larger um, chunks in these horses uh, reasonably quickly. So a lot of them will sell down to uh, 2.5%, which makes it really, really affordable. And uh, look, I can can tell you, if you own 2.5% or 100% of the horse, you're still cheering just as loud when it crosses the line first.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. That I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. Um, the, the other thing, uh, which is a little bit sad this year is, um, I, I would imagine a lot of, uh, people will be raising a glass at some stage for a couple of, uh, one of the great old characters and great contributors to New Zealand racing, uh, in terms of Colin Gillings, who won't be there, of course, who has passed away recently, uh, and so too, uh, the legendary Sir Patrick Hogan.
11: Absolutely. We've lost, uh, we've lost a couple of real titans of the industry recently. Um, Colin Gillings, an amazing trainer and, uh, and obviously Sir Patrick just revolutionised the way we sell horses here in New Zealand and and worldwide, so um, he he leaves an an enormous uh, hole and a massive legacy for absolute decades to come, and and we'll be doing a little tribute to Sir Patrick just prior to the the start of selling on uh, Sunday morning.
1: Oh, that's cool. I I figured you'd do something anyway. Uh, So 11 o'clock Sunday morning, uh, all kicks off with the first one uh, going through the ring. Uh, Night Sessions?
11: No, no, no. We uh, we we we're the same right through Sunday through uh, through the following Friday. So we kick off at eleven o'clock each each day, um, and yep. then we sell sort of roughly two hundred or two two twenty odd horses each day. Um, wow. Going through to sort of I don't know four o'clock, roughly four five o'clock. Um, There's six big days, um, but just uh, really welcoming everyone here on site. If you're if you've got any intention on buying a horse or if you just want to come for a look around and see what it's all about and and experience the the atmosphere and and, and have a beer and an ice cream, uh, you're absolutely more than welcome as well. So, welcoming everybody. And and if you can't make it here on site at Karaka, we've got uh, we've got the live stream on Sky Channel 263 and and through mm-hmm. our Facebook and on our website. So, uh, no excuse to uh, to miss any of the action.
1: Well, we wish you all the best, uh, Kane. We wish uh, all the team at uh, New Zealand Budstock. Uh, Sir Peter, of course, uh, and all those people that have been uh, instrumental in uh, such a great part of the industry for such a long period of time. May it be yet another success story for you, and thanks for your time this morning.
11: Yeah, pleasure to be on the show, Smithy, and uh, and we're we're pumped for a really big week. We're looking forward to it.
1: Good on you. Enjoy. Go well. Thank you. Kane Jones there from uh, New Zealand Bloodstock. Of course, the Caracas sales are uh, beginning this Sunday at 11am, and honestly, you will see some magnificent-looking uh yelling go through the ring and it's interesting if you haven't been um you see some big money spent um you see some big players in there uh, they play their cards pretty close to their chest they walk in and out of the ring and some have their favorite seats where they sit uh, noticeably one david ellis sit in his seat and look out uh, you know there are uh, people that um, are real character characters around the the racing scene and a lot of them, um, and great to hear that um, so many big names from Australia and further beyond will be here this this year as well. It's a good place to be um, just for a day out. Take the kids, see some wonderful horses, if nothing else. Um, It is now uh, 11.18 here on SENZ.
4: Brand are experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field.
0: Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: Good night oil there to uh just uh reinforce the fact that we're uh, acknowledging our anzac friends from across the tasman on australia day uh awards time too um with uh, the icc and they've announced uh, overnight that uh, their t20 international cricketers of the year the male t20 cricketer of the year is surya kumar Yadav, this exciting indian batsman who can uh, tear any attack apart um and he's won that and uh, in the women's side of things it's the australian Talia McGrath, uh, she has uh, been named, uh, she's a terrific all-round cricketer, she really is, uh, Talia McGrath. The Emerging Cricketers of the Year have been uh, named as uh, India's Renuka Singh, uh, as the uh, women's uh, emerging player, and the giant that is Marco Jansen. Marco Jansen, of course, the South African who comes in at six foot seven, uh, his left armor, and he is tall, gets a bit of bounce, and he's a handy batsman as well. Uh, he is the uh, male, um emerging player of the year uh, Marco Jansen, so uh, that is good news for South African cricket and they need some very good cricketers I can promise you that um, so uh, other announcements will filter through over the next day or so but yep uh, Talia McGrath and uh, Surya Kumar Yaraf are the T20 international players of the year on the subject too of uh, awards uh, and this is a, a good one for me Logan Swinkels uh, New Zealand Cricket have just uh, had a release that New Zealand's Outstanding Female Cricketer of the Year will now be honoured with the inaugural Debbie Hockley Medal at this uh, year's Annual Cricket Awards Ceremony. The newly minted honour is to be afforded equal status to the Sir Richard Hadley Medal for the Outstanding Male Cricketer of the Year. So uh, now they've uh, differentiated there, drawn a line between. Uh, It's become a regular event at the ANZ uh, Awards Dinner. This year they will be hosted on March the 23rd In Auckland, of course, Debbie Hockley, regarded as one of the world's best batters during her playing days and one of the finest to have played the game, will present the new award in person herself. Of course, uh, Debbie Hockley, not only uh, one of the great uh, female cricketers in the world, uh, of course, she's in the Hall of Fame alongside Belinda Clark, Enid Bakewell and Rachel Hayhoe Flint. Um, She has also been uh, a wonderful administrator and president too in terms of New Zealand cricket. Uh, She's got the New Zealand Order of Merit. She was awarded that in 1999. A uh, Companion of New Zealand Order of Merit, also. So, fully justified, uh, Logan, in naming it uh, the Debbie Hockley Medal. Yeah, 100%.
12: It kind of makes you wonder why did it take so long I mean we're definitely seeing this now off the back of the growth of women's cricket I think especially here in New Zealand the amount of um, attention that it gets Debbie has said uh, said herself today with this release that women's cricket is going from strength to strength the growth at all levels has been amazing and that she is looking forward to presenting this award to the inaugural recipient in March and I think there's definitely going to be a few strong contenders there Smithy
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, look, you, you've got your, your Susie Bates, your Sophie Devine, Jamelia Kers, They've all uh, been uh, prominent when it comes to ICC teams around uh, the world this calendar year, so uh, they'll certainly uh, be in the frame as well. And there's uh, a lot of interest in that. Over the years, it's they've uh, everyone's been nominated for the Sir Richard Hadley Award, but it's been very hard um, to award um, the award to um, a, a woman player because, of course. Um, and it's not their fault, but they don't. New Zealand do not play Test cricket. New Zealand women's cricket team do not play Test cricket. And when it came to handing out awards, there was a certain amount for Test performance, a certain amount for One Day performance, and a certain amount for T20 cricket of late. And when you accumulate all those points together across the field, um, then you you get to the point where you've got your out-and-out out supreme winner. And of course, if you're not playing Test cricket, it makes it very, very hard from a, a, a female point of view to actually get in alongside some of the men who have performed at test level. Because at the end of the day, uh, I still believe it's the hardest form of the game. It's the pinnacle of test cricket. You uh, pinnacle of cricket, you only have to talk to, to uh, the guys that play it to think to get the black cap, the original test cap on their head, is still the ultimate goal in this country. So, um, unfortunately for the women, they are not, um, uh, at this point anyway, uh, allowed to or permitted to play test cricket because it just doesn't fit the bill in terms of costs and scheduling and things of that nature. So, uh, very hard. So now, uh, New Zealand cricket, I think, have made a very sensible decision here in making and creating the Debbie Hockley Award. Uh, No doubt uh, that it's uh, absolutely the right name that's going on, the medal. And also, um, we might try and get hold of Debbie Hockley tomorrow and then just talk about uh, women's cricket in general and the fact that uh, amongst all her other achievements in life, she now has uh, a medal minted after her in uh, recognition of our best female cricketer on an annual basis it is coming up to uh, 11 30 here on SENZ which means it's time for you to dial 0800 1508 11 0800 150811, 11 um, and light up the lines and we'll have uh, 50 bucks worth of uh, TAB product available to you should you uh, answer uh, two or three questions in the affirmative good luck it's time for Araha with the news
2: Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his
7: job.
12: Yeah, time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Questions provided by producer Brian. And you got your quiz master here, producer Logan. Smithy, we're going for a $50 TAB bonus bet today because uh, lately, aside from when you got the kitty up a little bit, I've just been getting smacked all around the grounds.
1: Yeah, it's, um, we've got some very, very uh, interesting um, competitors. I think very knowledgeable as well. Um, so we'll, we'll throw it open today. And uh, who's our first contender?
12: I think it's been a while since we've had him on, and I'm pretty sure they're looking forward to this one. Carrie from Manawatu, come in, mate. Yeah. You there, Carrie? Yep. Yeah. All right, coming through a little... A little bit patchy there, mate. Uh, maybe just walk around a little bit, see if we can get a better signal, see how you go. Uh, Smithy, I'll give you the topics first so you can sort of get yourself mentally prepared. We've got hockey, that's focusing on the black sticks, NBA basketball mm-hmm. and the Australian Open.
1: The Australian Open tennis, okay. Thanks for that uh, insight. Is, uh, Kerry, have you, are you with us? D- doesn't appear he's there. All right. Well,
12: we'll go to Luke from Dunedin. Uh, Luke, you there, mate?
8: I'm here. How are you?
12: Good. Uh, I think you heard the topics just there. What's your selection?
7: I'll oh, you go with the ocean.
12: All right. A bit of tennis. Here we go. It's going to be a huge weekend coming up. I know where I'm going to be. First question for you, Luke. Novak Djokovic is facing the only unseeded player to make it into the semi-finals. What's his name?
2: Uh,
8: it would be um, the American fella Paul. Oh.
1: Just a couple of chips down the wicket,
8: right
12: in the slot, and the it goes. Smelly, I knew you would have had that.
1: Yeah, Tommy Paul, we talked about him this morning, actually, beating Ben Shelton yesterday, and uh, Mm. he's, um, well, he's probably about 20 bucks to beat uh, Djokovic on form at the moment, but uh, it's a two-horse race, and anything, um, I suppose, could happen, he could play the the match of his life, and Djokovic can be slightly off, that's how good they are, so. Uh, Yep, Tommy Paul, that's question one under your belt. Luke, well done. Second question for you, mate. (laughs) Can you name
12: the highest seed remaining in the women's singles draw? Just
1: a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot,
12: and the it goes. Yeah, all the top seeds have been falling left, right and
1: centre court. Smithy, down to the fifth seed. Yeah, yeah fifth seed, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been carnage, actually, on the women's side of the draw. I mean, it's just right from the get-go, really, from round one, they've just been dropping off, really, and, and to be perfectly honest, uh, I, I wouldn't even guarantee that uh, she'll go on and win it as the fifth seed either uh, it could come from anywhere
12: Alright, last question for you Luke $50 TAB bonus beer up for grabs here Of the Open era Novak Djokovic is the all time leader for most men's singles titles with 9 at the Australian Open The Fed Express is second with 6 Can you name the American tennis legend who is third?
7: I'll, go, I'll just have to say
11: for you One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field.
12: Oh, good guess, but you have opened this up to the keeper, Smithy.
1: Well, American legend, um, I'm thinking along the Agassiz-Sampras line, to be perfectly honest. Um, And I I would be thinking um, on that kind of surface, I'll be going with Pistol Pete, Pete Sampras. One of the worst things I have ever seen... On, on
12: the no, <laughs> Smithy. It was the other one. It was Andre. You're kidding
1: me. Yep, Enjoy. Agassi. Yes. Oh, I don't believe you. Oh, I don't <laughs> believe you. It has to have been Pete Sampras. He's won a lot more majors. Oh, I don't believe that. Yeah, not when it comes to the oh, Australian well. Open, mate. Andre Agassi mm. loved it in Melbourne. Oh God, I uh, and loved Andre Agassi. <laughs> hey, Luke. Uh, Luke, congratulations. Uh, you snuck through on my idiocy there, but I've got to be honest. I'd take Pistol. Take Pistol Pete over Andre Agassi most days of the week. Agassi was a lot more attractive to watch in terms of style of tennis, but uh, Pistol Pete was a machine. But you are he too, was. Luke, so you've you've won the money. Um, So congratulations for that. And uh, stay on the line, Thank and uh, Brian will get all your details, eh? Cheers, guys. Cheers, uh, Luke from Dunedin. There's when winner. Have a great day, and uh, we'll have another one tomorrow morning when we'll be playing for 50 bucks, which you can take into the weekend or perhaps... Uh, spend on the uh, Wellington Cup. Um, interesting to note that uh, the LIV battle goes on, even though uh, the year has ticked over to a new number. Uh, Rory McElroy's finally turned up to tournament play and has had, um, uh, I think, an, uh, fair to say, an altercation with Patrick Reed, who doesn't back down either, any direction either. Uh, Patrick Reed went up to talk to uh, McElroy apparently, on the practice uh, field and um, McElroy snubbed him completely and Natalie snubbed him. He said, Patrick came up to me to say hello and I didn't really want to talk to him. Um, he said, uh, I was asked about reports that the, the American being uh, Reed, said threw a tee at me in my direction. The four-time major winner said he didn't see or feel anything but apparently that's what happened and if roles were reversed I'd have thrown the tee at him and I'd be probably expecting him to file a lawsuit in my direction. So, um, you know, it's it just, it's going to carry on and uh, Rory of course uh, was quite uh, fatigued by the whole thing being basically the spokesman on behalf of um, what would you assume, what would you call it uh, convention he was his spokesman on behalf of convention it's not it's not going to go away
12: and yet smithy with all of that he got tired of it by the end of last year he's just stoked the flame again by making those
1: comments he literally he could yeah, have it ignored it he
12: could have ignored it it won't
1: it won't worry him um you know <laughs> And, and Greg Norman continues now um, the, the details of uh, that uh, deal they had with television. Uh, I should dig those out again just to show you how lowly down uh, the rankings of t- television in America the channel is they've linked with. Oh, it's yeah. about 28th or 29th in terms of rankings for watching sport. Uh, even though it has a, pot- a potential viewing audience wow. of 120 something million people, uh, not many people watch it. Uh, and so it'll, it will be interesting to see. Uh, I... I I think that there's still a long way off from settling uh, LIV and uh, the conventional DP tour and the PGA tour. And the reason why is uh, Greg Norman. I don't think anyone wants to deal with him. Mm. And as, as long as um, I think the, the players in the LIV, if they want to get back and they want to ha- have it come back together in any sort of direction, they probably have to be the people that turn around to Greg and say, it's been great. You've gotten us, uh, a lot of money in a short space of time and we're grateful for it. But... Um, we, we want to play in these tournaments. We want to be able to you know play for the Green Jacket, etc., uh, continue to do that. And if that disappears us on the fact that we don't get any rankings and we disappear off the, those numbers, uh, then uh, be uh, interesting uh, to see what the result of that is. Uh, it would be also interesting, we know that uh, Ryan Fox has, has uh, managed to secure an invite to the Masters, and that's what it is. It basically is an invite that comes to you. Um, and, and if, uh, it would be interesting to know where the invites have gone I'm not sure if they actually publish them or whether you don't know until the field is actually uh, fully fu- uh, finished but it would be interesting to know if all those live players on the fringes etc who previously would have qualified I, I think it would be interesting to know uh, if any of them um, have been snubbed I think you know, past winners uh, are obliged to be invited but maybe not maybe um, the, the Masters who are ruling to themselves may well be may well be uh, having a a change of thought there. But Foxy's in the field and that's what's important to us. 11.40 here on SENZ.
4: And are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa.
0: This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
1: there with uh, that magnificent song from the past Um, of course we've been playing Australian music today because it is uh, Australia Day over there and uh, celebrating it at the Australian Open as well and uh, that song brings back a few memories as well for Kiwi, particularly Kiwi cricketers in 1990 uh, Martin Crowe, the late Martin Crowe was captain to uh, Pakistan and we had a side that was uh, down on numbers a wee bit after a couple of retirements etc so we were a little bit lambs to the slaughter so he said uh, let's have a team song and that was it. And we put it on on the bus going to the ground pretty much every day and boom it out. And uh, of course, uh, by the end of it, you pretty much got to know every lyric in it. Um, but it worked no good. We got hammered every day, unfortunately. <laughs> even it was supposed to inspire us, uh, it backfired a wee bit. It was still uh, certainly a, a great tune. There's no doubt about it. Uh, breakers are in action tonight. And they are playing against the Brisbane Bullets. That uh, game commencing at uh, 9.30. It's a road game. So over there in uh, Queensland. Of course, they sit third at the moment. They've uh, got a game in hand on the team who is finishing second, of course, and they're bouncing back after that uh, fantastic win against the Sydney Kings, uh, which halted a, a pretty poor run of form. Just at the right time, you would in Slogan. Yep.
12: The road to the championship is uh, well on its way because they do play Melbourne United as well at home on Saturday. That is going to be a real tough fast. Uh, the game tonight against the Brisbane Bullets might be a bit of an emotional fear, Smithy. At least on the Brisbane side of things, because uh, across the ditch, uh, some sad news recently. is quite, I mean, disappointing any time something, something like this ever happens. Uh, Harry Froling from the Brisbane Bullets was found on, unconscious at like 2 a.m. on the streets of Wollongong and Illawarra there the night of uh, their win against the hawks after he was allegedly hit with a one punch attack from behind uh, a 19 year old man has landed, handed himself into police over that act so uh, that's good in some regard i guess rather you didn't do it in the first place but that does mean that harry froling is now out for the rest of the season smithy
1: It's terrible and he's got a
12: brain a brain bleed brain bleed it's and a, a fractured skull so you imagine the rotor recovery for that is quite long
1: uh, reminds me of uh, the late David Hooks who uh, suffered a, a hit from behind as well um, and uh, never recovered, never ac- actually regained consciousness once he hit the concrete. That was it for David Hooks. So. Mm. Too often, eh? Too often that uh, people get targeted in that manner and um, every single time, man. Um, this uh, ruined two lives, absolutely ruined two lives probably in, in the sense of things, two lives. So um, that 19-year-old kid, he'll be feeling a mess and if he isn't, he should be. Um, What about, uh, speaking of injuries, and this time uh, a little bit more legitimate than that one, uh, Stephen Adams, news coming through of a problem there.
12: Yeah Stephen Adams is set for an extended break on the sidelines due to a knee injury smithy. The Memphis Grizzlies have confirmed that the big Kiwi centre will be out of the NBA action for between 3-5 to weeks with a PCL strain in his right knee. The loss of the defensive and rebounding powerhouse is a huge blow for the Grizzlies as you can imagine who have now lost 3 straight games after previously scoring a club record run of 11 consecutive victories. Adams has been in Dynamic form in the early stages of this year, leaving a big hole for the Grizzlies to fill. The injury occurred, unfortunately, during the final play. So almost coming unscathed there in the 112-110 loss to the Phoenix Suns on Tuesday, New Zealand time. That comes from stuff. So yeah, bit of a bit of a miss there, not having Stephen Adams because you know how much he means to that team, Smithy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, and he's uh, probably playing the best basketball of his career at this point. He's been the most dominant. Um, I think he's is the enforcer. What do they call him? Head of security, uh, as well. <laughs> when it comes to courtside problems, uh, he has just um, he's been such a leading figure, and his combination with Morant has been uh, quite outstanding. So they'll miss him in the run-in. Uh, they certainly will. Um, and let's hope uh, it doesn't put a dampener on uh, on his career. Big man when big big guys get uh, ankle injuries and. Those sorts of problem areas they take because of the weight that's put on the on those joints, it takes a lot uh, longer than perhaps uh, smaller people to recover. So uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, Stephen Adams and uh, his road back to, to good health. Um, I've just got a text through, I can't put two texts through. Uh, Smithy, it's truly amazing with these ICC Men's Awards that India continually have the best players but never win anything. Mm, interesting that. Um, there's a huge, huge panel of uh, people uh, who vote on this. Um, including uh, from New Zealand uh, Susan McFadden uh, r- as wrote so on the ICC Cricketer of the Year I noticed um, Frankie Mackay uh, is also on that list, Simon Dool is on that list as well so um, notable people in New Zealand um, and of course uh, a lot of people voting from uh, the subcontinent as well but it is um, officially done through um, uh, an accountant so there's no tinkering with the results or etc like that I can, I can promise you uh, but, yep, uh, Indians are um, often to the forefront there. And, yeah, I wouldn't deny this guy, though. He's uh, probably the, one of the most dynamic cricketers I've seen in a long, long time. And here's another one from Joey. And Joey, uh, incidentally, um, Logan's uh, got the the day off tomorrow because he's got weekend work as well. Um, but that means Ricardo Ball is going to be sitting in the producer's chair. And if this, tr- if this text is true, we will not be talking. If this is true, Joey's come in and said, Hey, Smithy. Are we getting Harry Kane from you guys? That's the mighty Man United. Hope so. Oh, really? Are you are you kidding me? Harry Kane going to Manchester United? If that's the case, Ricardo, um, you and I won't be speaking tomorrow very much at all. It is 11.52, but I am speaking to Mark Stafford, and I'll do that shortly.